You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. My name is Bob Vroon, and I was a pastor for over 35 years before I retired, and now I do pastoring for free. (laughs) And preaching, and whatever. (laughs) Uh, My wife and I spend six months in Pennsylvania each year, and then six months here each year, having family in both places. And when we're here, Cyprus is our church, and we love it, and we're involved in different ministries here. Um, Today we continue a sermon series called Finding This Room This Christmas, and the idea is we're supposed to find some room for Jesus and the things that matter most in the midst of this season, right? Lots of luck. (laughs) It's, uh, It's sometimes pretty hard to do that. Uh, we we find a way to do all that Christmas shopping and to go to Christmas parties and and all the rest of those things, but um, it's sometimes hard to find time for the things that are the most important things of all. Today we're going to look at the love of Jesus that has been shown to us in the incarnation, which is what Christmas is about, and how we can follow His example in our lives. So, uh, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand for a prayer, and the reason is, is that for a sermon to, to work, there has to be someone preaching it, and on the other side, there needs to be someone hearing it, <laughs> okay? And so, we're going to uh, stand now and just have a brief word of prayer that the Holy Spirit will inhabit this time together. Father, we thank you for your word and for the truth in it and for the way it leads us in the way of life. And we pray that your Holy Spirit now will lead and empower the preaching of your word and that you will help all of us to hear what you are saying to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. So I want you to imagine uh, a committee meeting, okay? And this is is kind of a strange thing because we're going to go back in time. See, uh, those of us here that are on the committee, uh, we're going to go back to before Jesus was born, and we're going to design what happens, right? So I'm going to kind of invite you to think about that as I make some suggestions here. So... How do we plan the coming of the Son of God to earth? How would we have planned it? Okay, maybe a little different than God's way. Well, we think to ourselves, uh, he should be born in the best hospital in the world, right? Real good. Trouble is, there are no hospitals back then. Well, that, that one's out. Well, how about in a palace that's more or less sanitized and nice, right? <clears throat> Okay, yeah, I vote for that. Yeah, we we vote for that. That's good. Now, we should probably send some angels to announce his birth, but who should we send them to? Well, probably all the most important people in the world, right? That that sounds pretty good. Caesar and Herod and the high priest and some of the other uh, very influential people of that time, right? Yeah, that sounds good. All right. 
All right, we vote for that. Well, you know, that, that makes me think a little bit, though. When we mention Herod, you know, this guy was a really, really bad person. I mean, he killed his mother because he thought she might have been plotting against him. And he killed one of his brothers. And he killed, I mean, he killed anyone and everyone for no good reason at all. This is a really bad guy. We've got to find a way to protect the Son of God, right? Hmm. How about a force field? <laughs> now, those of you that are Star Trek fans, you know what I'm talking about, right? If you've watched the Star Trek movies or anything, or Star Trek shows, you know, the force field is invisible, but you can't get through it. You try and stick a sword through that, it just bounces right off of it. I like that. Yeah, okay, good. I vote for, a, a, for the, the, the force field. Very good. Oh, but what about... Can God really do a force field? Oh, come on, man. If Star Trek can do it, God can do it, right? (laughs) All right. There we are. Well, how about the best of everything in his upbringing? Best food, best education, everything the best. Yeah, I vote for that. Now, how about miracles? What kind of miracles should we have him suggest that he'd be doing, you know? Um. Oh, I got a neat idea. How about turning stones to bread? Ooh, that would be cool, wouldn't it? (laughs) Yeah, we we all voted for that one. Well, now, what about at the end of his time on earth? What do we do do with that? Um, How about beam me up, Scotty? (laughs) That sounds like a good one for the Son of God, right? Well, that might be the way that we would have designed it if we had the chance, right? But when we look at the Christmas accounts in the Bible, we see something very different. God didn't do it the way we would have done it. Can you figure that? Jesus was born in a manger, which is kind of like a feeding trough in a barn, Well, that's not too fancy, is it? And his birth was announced to shepherds. Now, you have to realize shepherds were pretty near the bottom of the social ladder in those days. Okay? They weren't the really important people of that day at all. No Jewish mother sat there saying, my son, the shepherd. (laughs) No, no. They'd say, my son, the doctor, right? <laughs> yeah. Or maybe my son, the king. Something like that, but not, not a shepherd. And then you think about what Jesus did for a living for a time. He was a carpenter. Carpenter's a good thing to do. Um, where would we be without carpenters, right? But it isn't that high prestige kind of thing you might have expect for a person who is the king of glory, right? In our passage for today, the Apostle Paul gives us a beautiful summary of the life of the Son of God on earth. And let's turn uh, to Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11, and uh, it's Print it up here, but if you want a Bible, I think the ushers would bring you a Bible. So if you, you can want to raise your hand, some of us like 
print in our hands, you know? I mean, that's, I guess we're dinosaurs, really, but, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm one of those people. So I'm going to use a print thing, but you got this up here. <clears throat> so Philippians 2, starting at verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise the Lord. That's a great passage. And in it, the Apostle Paul tells us that before Christ was born into this world, he already existed in the form of God. The Greek words suggest that Jesus was by his nature God. His unchangeable being is divine. But he chose not to cling to his divine rights or status. Instead, he emptied himself. What does that mean? Basically, the Son of God was full of divine knowledge and powers and glory and status. And it was his privilege as God to stay in heaven above this human mess. But he emptied himself of his prerogatives and his glory and some knowledge to become one of us and to play on a level field with us. We need to think about it. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the fact is, like us, he had to live by faith. Now we're also told he was born in the likeness of men. And the point of this statement is that he really was human because there were some people, you see, in that day who came up with this idea that, well, he wasn't really human. He was really the Son of God and stayed the Son of God. You know, Well, you know, it's a little hard to understand the, the incarnation, so they were trying to explain away the human side of it. <clears throat> but the point is, the miracle of the incarnation is that he was, in fact, at the same time, both God and man. Amazing. As John 1.14 puts it, The word became flesh and dwelled among us. And then he went a step further in our passage, taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself. He humbled himself right from the start. He came as a baby. When you think of how helpless and vulnerable a baby is, right? This particular baby was dependent on two, probably, teenagers, okay? Probably quite young teenagers, 
in those days for food and for shelter and clothing and love and everything else he needed. He was dependent upon these two very young people. And his whole life, he lived as a humble servant, mostly among poor people. And he once stated that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that leads to another point in Philippians 2. He humbled himself even to the point of dying on the cross. He died a painful and humiliating death and thus paid for our sins and paved the way for us to be reconciled to God. And then in verse 9 to 11, we see that because of his humble, self-sacrificing love and obedience to the Father, he has been exalted above all others, above all others. He is, in fact, today esteemed and worshipped by billions of people, with a B, billions, right? And someday, everyone will acknowledge that he is the Lord of the universe. And even that will be to the glory of God the Father. Now, many Jews in his day took offense at this teaching, saying that the Christians were, in effect, calling a man, a mere man, God. And that, they said, is blasphemy. But we have to insist as Christians that that is not so. Nor was it like some Greek myth, as some would suggest, where a man becomes a god. No, that's not it either. Rather, the pre-existent Son of God willingly became a man and lived among us and died for us. And that is called incarnation. So you see, it was not just calling a man God, and it was not a man becoming a God. It was God becoming a man. Was this a great sacrifice for a son of God? Sure it was. Sure it was. Because up in heaven, everything was good, right? Down here, not quite as much so. And he had to live under the same conditions that we live under. He had to play by the rules of the earth. That's the deal. When he was cold, he shivered. When he was hot, he sweated. When he didn't get enough sleep, he was tired. At times, he felt hungry, and at times, he felt thirsty. When a loved one died, and his father did before he reached his, the time of, of his ministry that he began, he felt the sorrow of bereavement. And when people hated him, he felt the pain of rejection. He also knew what it was like to be tempted to sin. In his special time of temptation in the wilderness, Satan basically wanted him to cheat. You know, that would be appealing, I would think. You know, Satan would say, hey, hey, just cheat. Change the rules for yourself. 
Make it easier on yourself, right? When you're hungry, make food out of stones, right? Hey, why not? Compel faith by jumping off a tower in the middle of the temple and and not getting hurt. And above all, take my shortcut to power. There's no cross in that picture, okay? How nice and convenient that is. And Jesus was tempted. He had to be. All this sounds pretty good. But he resisted these temptations because it was not the will of the Father. And so, now he can be, as we're told in Hebrews, he can be our sympathetic high priest who intercedes for us in every struggle we go through in life. Praise the Lord. Now, ultimately, at the end of his earthly life, he had to face death. He did not get beamed up. (laughs) As the Son of God, he would not have had to die because death is the penalty for sin, Genesis 3. So he had every right to just get beamed up and not have to die. But out of love. He died to pay for our sin. There's another aspect of his death that we maybe don't think about, but should. To illustrate it, I I, I want to talk about my mother uh, in her last years of life. She she was told that she had cancer and and, uh, she, she took treatments and for four years that was good. But at some point, they said to her, we can't do anything else. That's it. And it won't be long. And one day when I was talking to her, um, she said, you know, Bob, I'm not scared of death because I'm going to go to be with Jesus. (laughs) But she said, I don't look forward to the process of dying. She said there could be a lot of pain, especially, you know, with what I have. And it's it's not going to be a happy thing to have to say goodbye to everyone I love. And that really touched me. I think she was right. But there is some happy news for all of us when we face that time. And that is that Jesus has been there. And he went through this process. And he didn't get an easy one. Okay? And that was one of the ways that he identified with us. That was part of the incarnation. He walked through it. And now, we can trust him to be with us whenever we have to walk through it and to walk through it with us and to guide us safely to the other side. There's one more result of the incarnation that I want to draw attention to this morning. We've been talking about how Jesus identified with us which is wonderful. 
But the incarnation also means that he fleshed out God's love in this broken world. And so it kind of answers the question, hey, what would God's love look like in my screwed up world, right? You know, we might sometimes, we may not want to admit it to our Christian friends, doesn't sound holy, but we might sometimes think to ourselves, hey, it's easy for God to sit up in heaven, you know, uh, where everything is real nice and all the people are real nice. And say, love your neighbor. It's like, come on, you, you don't have my neighbor, God. <laughs> right? That cranky, difficult one, right? <laughs> Always giving us all trouble. And, well, you don't know that annoying coworker of mine at, at the job, right? And, and, and my boss, boy, is he a loser. <laughs> well, not to mention sickness that we have to deal with and crime and uh, wildfires, wow, and all the other stuff that makes life so challenging and so difficult. What would faith look like in this mess that we call human life? What would the love of God look like? Well, we have an answer to that. Because Jesus showed us, not just by his teachings, but by his example. He showed us what it looks like. And there is nothing like the power of a good example. And he showed us the best. Well, what is the bottom line in all this? Where does the rubber hit the road? I mean, what's the key application? The key application is verse 5 where it says basically that we are to have the mindset or attitude of Jesus with all the actions that implies. The incarnation is an example to follow. It's not just a doctrine, you know, it's not just something you say, yeah, I believe that, and you sign your name to it. It's an example. Jesus identified with us in order to meet our needs, and he fleshed out the love of God The mindset that is behind the incarnation is to guide our life and our ministry every single day. Wow. It's a great principle. And endless applications, right? And I want to encourage you to use your sanctified imagination as the Holy Spirit leads you, and to come up with ideas. But I also want to to leave you with a few concrete ideas. The most obvious one to me is that we can minister to people who are experiencing something that we have gone through. Cancer survivors can minister to people who are struggling with cancer today. This can be through a group like Cancer Companions, or it can be, uh, which we have here at Cyprus, or it can be just informally. Grief Share is a ministry to those who are bereaved. Praise the Lord for that. There are many, many other such possibilities. For instance, a man in a life group 
shares about his struggle with unemployment that he's currently going through and how it's gone on for months. When will it end? And another man in the group, he remembers several years ago, he went through that. A long time of unemployment, and he didn't know if he was going to make it through financially, didn't know if he'd lose his house, he didn't, it, you know, all these things. And so he decides, you know, this is a good time for me to come alongside this brother while he's going through this stuff until he gets all the way through it. This is a great opportunity for incarnational ministry. Another possibility is for each of us to identify with people of a different different racial or ethnic background by seeking out a relationship with them and thus growing to understand them and to sympathize with them and to promote peacemaking in our society. I think that's a great way to do it. I, I want to tell you a little story. Uh, when, when I was a drug and alcohol counselor, <clears throat> after I uh, retired from pastoral ministry, I became a drug and alcohol counselor in a Christian, uh, see if I can remember the way they describe it, a chemical dependency outpatient treatment center, something like that. <laughs> and um, and and so uh, one day when I, when I was to come to work, I get a call and I said, you know, what we want you to do today, uh, somebody is sick in one of our branches, okay, out in one of the outer edges of the county where it's all very quiet and very rural. And uh, we want you to go there and to counsel. You got, you got three people to counsel. All the instructions will be uh, there on the desk. You know, the key will be such and such a place and all the rest of it. So, okay, so I went there. And then, then you'll have the, a small group after that, all right, that you're going to lead. So I went there and uh, and counseled the people. And then it's time for the small group, and they start trickling in. And this is uh, a part of, of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, which is very, very white. Okay? And so, not surprisingly, everybody is very, very white who comes in. <laughs> All right? <laughs> and as they're coming in, they're talking about something, and I'm overhearing their conversation. And they're talking about, in quotes, them colored people. And they're reciting a bunch of negative stereotypes. And um, so I, I kind of interrupted at some point. I said, hey, can I ask you guys a question? I said, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I said, do any of you have a good friend who is a member of a minority group? Raise your hand. No hands. No hands. And, uh, and this, see, now this must be because I'm from New York. I was born and raised in New York City metro area that I, I just learned at an early age to be confrontational. <laughs> so I just said to them, okay, let me get this right. You don't know any of these people that you're talking about, but you know all about them. <laughs> they got the point and there was just a long silence. And we moved on. Well, 
You know that a recent survey showed that 75% of all white people do not have even one friend who is a member of a minority group. And I don't know if how, how what it would be. Uh, they had they didn't say in here in, in this survey about whether this is true for people in minority groups either. <clears throat> you know, the Jews of Jesus' day had all kinds of negative stereotypes about the Samaritans, and they tried very, very hard to avoid them, going miles out of their way when they would take the trip to Jerusalem. Uh, and, you know, that's not miles in your car. <laughs> that's miles on foot to avoid these people. See? But Jesus didn't do that. He went through Samaria. And he talked with Samaritans. And he healed some people. And then later on, when he was talking to the Jews, he made Samaritans the heroes of some of his stories. Like in the story of the Good Samaritan, right? There are others too. And I'll bet that was really popular. But it's called breaking down walls. And I believe that's what we are called to do as Christians. We are called to break down walls. Are there walls in our society, whether it be racial or ethnic or rich versus poor or whatever else? We are supposed to be out there breaking down the walls. That's one of our callings. Well, Another group of people that we could identify with and be incarnational about is what might be called the worst of sinners, okay? In, in their day, that would be tax collectors. You might feel that way about tax collectors today, too. I don't know. <laughs> but today, I'd say probably most of the people in our country would see it more as being like criminals, or possibly drug addicts. And of course, the purpose of getting to know them and identifying with them is not to join them in their bad habits, (laughs) but to help them overcome them. We can also volunteer for ministries to the homeless or to poor people in Mexico, right? I think yesterday it was. A whole bunch of people from this church went down, delivered 300 shoeboxes full of stuff to, to uh, children in poverty down in Mexico. It's, it's a very good thing to do. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> and so there are people, too, in our church who have gone on short-term mission trips to all kinds of different places and others who are still planning on doing so. That's another great thing to do. These are all good ways to flesh out the love of God. In one church that I pastored, they, the, the big thing that they did uh, was they sent out people on disaster relief trips. And, you know, when I saw, you know, this was one of the smaller churches in our district, and yet they were the church that sent out more people on disaster relief trips than any church in the district. Wow, that's pretty cool. And this is all before I came there. I can't take credit. <laughs> it wasn't because of me they did this, but I mean it was because of Jesus, very clearly, and Jesus in their lives. 
Well, one more thing I want to suggest as a possibility, and, and that this one relates to Christmas, because after all, it is the Christmas season now, and we're supposed to be preaching about Christmas, so I, I've got to get, get on it here. Years ago, Beth and I got to thinking about what, what is Christmas all about, see? It, it's about giving to people in need who cannot pay you back. That's in, in brief. And we thought, you know, it's a nice tradition to give gifts to family members and all, but most of them have everything they need, and then some. And, of course, they'll give you some good gifts in return. But we still, we didn't want to give up that tradition. You know, we still liked it. So we thought, well, what can we do? And we decided this, that for every dollar that we would spend on gifts for family and friends who would give us something back, we would also give one dollar to help needy people who would never give us anything back, probably, or to help Christian ministries that would spread the gospel to spiritually needy people in the world. And we called this our birthday gift for Jesus. And some years, Beth even takes all the, 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 the checks that we're writing out to all these groups and everything. She, she puts them in a little box and she, she nice little ribbon on it and everything else puts it under a Christmas tree. And it just, it's to Jesus. This is one way that we can flesh out the love of God. So it's a thought. It's just a, a thought to plant in your head. You think about it, what you might want to do. I could go on, but I, I realize eventually there's going to be a hook, saying <laughs> gets around my neck and they pull me off the stage, right? <clears throat> so let's summarize it. We are called to have the same mindset of sacrificial love that Jesus had when he came to earth to save us. He identified with us at great cost to himself, and he fleshed out the love of God. And he wants us to do the same kinds of things in our life. Do you think maybe the world is kind of a mess? Yeah, I think so too. Do you want to change the world? Sure. There's no better way to do it than through the power of a good example. Jesus has shown us the greatest example of all. And as we follow him and seek to do what he did, we'll be setting a great example for people around us. And you'd be surprised how many people will pick it up and start doing the same thing. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done in sending Jesus, your son. Thank you for the salvation we have through him. Thank you for the love that he showed us and help us now to show that love to others. We pray in Jesus' name.